0: Sin is sin is sin, and you have living within you The same moral and supernatural power as Matthew, and you no longer have to live there. You can defeat it, surrender it to Him, be submissive to His call, hear Him again call to you this morning with all of the power of a sovereign God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Well, today, as many of you know, we are continuing, continuing with our series entitled Radical Discipleship. And we're turning this morning to Matthew chapter 9. So, if you have your Bible with you, Matthew chapter 9, as we read verses 9 to 13. And you'll find it on page 1509 of the Church Bible. Page 1509, Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. And Matthew writes these words, as Jesus went on from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy Word. Now, this morning, I want to begin in a manner that I don't think I have ever begun in before. And I have a question for you. And the question is this. Can you think of one thing that not too many people know about you? Is there one thing that maybe less than a handful of people know about you? Maybe you won a sports trophy when you were 16 or 17, and so long ago, it doesn't even cross your mind now. For others, it may be that when you were in junior high, you did something so embarrassing that you simply can't even go back there in your mind. Maybe it was something you did to a brother or sister when you were growing up. Maybe it's something you haven't told your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. Now, hold that thought for a second. Take a couple of seconds, look at the person next to you, and give them a good look. Look at them up and down, glance over them, have a look, find out who they are. And now that you've done that, turn to that person and tell them the thing you haven't told anyone else. Okay, you've got 30 seconds. I'm going to tell Brian and Stan a few things and I'll be back in a second or two. I have a few things I need to write down. Hold on. <laughs> Stan won a trophy for athletics in high school. Stanley, is that correct? Junior high. Oh, junior high, excuse me. And Brian, Brian, please stand. People will want to know this. Brian was once a male model. He's asking me to tell you the story about the boxer shorts, and I am not telling it. I am just not telling it. Brian, that remains between you and I. Now, on the other hand, if you slip me $5 on the way out, I may, I may tell you, so. Now, are you ready for mine? This is bad, so please bear with me. When I was a young pastor, 24, 25 years old, and I haven't told more than a handful of people this, I once buried the wrong man. Now, some of you are nudging each other and saying, what did he just say? So here it comes again. I once buried the wrong man. Now, in my defense, he was dead at the time, and I think that's okay. Now, if you want to know the details and the context, ask me later, and I'll tell you, but it was, uh, it was quite an event. <laughs> now, my reason for beginning like that this morning is this, that friendships grow, when you be- meet someone you have something in common, and then you start telling them a little about your life and they tell you a little about theirs and you get to know who you know and where you studied at college you get to know do you have sports in common do you what else do you have in common do you like to go to the movies do you like to read books how do you do you like to hike how do you spend your leisure time and those relationships naturally grow and develop and go deeper and deeper once you get to a level of intimacy and understanding, and friendships are like that. And this morning as we come to Matthew chapter 9, we are about to discover what Matthew discovered in Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew discovered a biblical principle that we will come back to again and again throughout our study this morning, and it's this, that radical discipleship is birthed and then grows in a radical relationship. Now, let me say that again. Radical discipleship is birthed and then grows in a radical relationship. But the other thing you should be interested in is this. It's one thing to know the gospel, but it's so helpful to know the man behind it. And that's why we're coming to Matthew chapter 9 this morning, because it focuses on Matthew. Matthew was, as you know, a tax collector. He lived in the town of Capernaum. The town of Capernaum sat at the side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was a major route north, it had a Roman garrison, it was a major tax centre. Peter, Several of the other early disciples lived in Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, as you know, because they were fishermen, of course, and they wanted to live close to their work. And as a tax collector, Matthew would pay a franchise to the Roman authorities to be able to collect taxes in a given area. Sometimes it was done regionally, sometimes it was done in terms, uh, let me put it this way, what would be the best way, in terms of uh, employment. And by that I mean this, or topically, Matthew being at the center of a major route north, he would sit in his tax booth because his principal job was to levy taxes on import and export on stamps and packages and letters, and he had the right to put tax on whatever he felt was appropriate. And in order for Matthew to recover the money he paid out in franchise, he would, of course, then arbitrarily add on tax wherever he felt it was worth doing. And as a result, the Jewish community of his day utterly detested tax collectors. Now, why are you nodding and smiling? Because you are saying, well, the IRS is still like that today. Well, it wasn't… it's not quite like that. They absolutely were detested and marginalized. They were considered uh, vile. They were considered despicable, unprincipled scoundrels and parasites. They were held in such contempt and disdain they were not allowed to go to the synagogue on a Saturday morning or enter into the temple if they visited Jerusalem. Tax collectors really were marginalized and ostracized. Now, that tells you a little about the context of Matthew. Now, when Jesus comes to Matthew and says to him in chapter 9 excuse me, yes, chapter 9, verse 10, or verse 9 rather, he says, follow me. The question in our minds is this, what was it that was so utterly compelling in the words of Jesus, follow me, that radically transformed Matthew? Matthew. The passage doesn't tell us this, so please forgive me for this. This is a preacher using his imagination, so please forgive me for that. Living in Capernaum, I suspect Matthew would have heard of this wandering itinerant Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. And the first time he heard the reports, I suspect Matthew would say, yeah, okay, it's one of these religious kind of people. It's fine. And as Matthew sat in his tax collector's booth, he would meet all sorts of people coming and going, going south to Jerusalem, going north to Caesarea Philippi. He'd be asking them how they were doing, how his business, and he'd be at the center of all of the speculation and the rumors and he'd begin to hear more and more and more about this Jesus of Nazareth. And the stories would persist, and he would begin to hear the same thing again and again of miracles, of casting out demons, of making the blind to see and raising the dead, of lives that had been touched and transformed with the impact of the gospel— And I wonder if the Holy Spirit was so at work in the life of Matthew He was drawing him and drawing him and drawing him for months up to this point. The Scripture is fairly clear in this, that God almost never works in a vacuum, that whenever someone comes to have a spiritual experience with the living God, as they look back, they often see the hand of God drawing them closer and closer and closer. I can't help but wonder if that was happening in the life of Matthew. And when Jesus came to Matthew that morning and said to him, follow me, please understand what was taking place right there, that the compelling, sovereign Word of God, full of power and creative power, was at work in the life of Matthew. And Matthew understood this, and he understood it almost in a flash that God in all of His wonder and grace and glory was standing right there in front of Him. And it is no wonder that when Jesus speaks, the authority and transforming power of God was felt in the life of Matthew, and Matthew was utterly convicted and compelled to get up and leave everything, and go and follow Christ. That's what was taking place that morning. And in the course of any given week, when we meet as pastors, Inevitably, our prayer comes back to Sunday morning across our campus. And our prayer is almost identical week after week. And it certainly takes place on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock when we gather together for prayer. And our prayer is this Father, open up your word this morning. May it be insightful. Challenging, convicting, compelling—speak to us this morning, refresh us, renew us, enable us to draw closer to you and understand the power and authority and the truth of your word for us today. And that's what happens when we open up the scriptures together, and it feels as if God Himself is reaching out of the page to grab your heart and mind and soul and draw you to Himself. That's what happens to us. Two thousand years ago, Matthew had the same self-experience when he heard those transforming call of Christ, follow me. And Matthew got up, utterly convicted, compelled, transformed and was never the same again. And he goes on, of course, to be a gospel writer. He was putting on paper what he had experienced that day. Now, notice what else happens. As the passage moves from verse 9 to verse 10, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Him and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Now, pause for a second. And the question, at least in my mind, is what happened between earlier in the day when Matthew entered into a radical relationship with God, between when that took place and that evening when Matthew had friends over for dinner? Now, understand the significance of what happened during those hours. If you are an engineer, the chances are a number of your friends are engineers. If you are a lawyer, a number of your friends will probably be lawyers. If you are a teacher, it is the same. If you're involved in retail or if you're involved in finance, the chances are many of your friends will come from those areas. And Matthew's immediate friends were tax collectors. And I imagine that afternoon into the early evening that Matthew spent his time going to his friends, those he knew best, and saying to them, come over to my home this evening. I'm preparing a dinner, and I want you to meet a man who utterly transformed my life. You will never believe what you're about to hear. And I suspect his friends would look at Matthew and think, what on earth has happened to him? What is he going on about? And then Matthew would talk of this Jesus of Nazareth, and they would be shaking their heads and sighing and saying, Matthew, not you as well. We're hearing this from all over the place. And Matthew's saying, no, no, it's, it's not like that. You don't understand. Please come and listen And they think, well, it's Matthew, he'll probably grow out of it, we'll go just to please him. And his friends come round, and along with his friends come some of the Pharisees. Now, remember that tax collectors could not go to the synagogue and the temple, and certainly were not allowed to mix with the Pharisees. So far we've described Matthew, so far we've described the tax collectors. What about the Pharisees? Pharisees had access to the Old Testament Scriptures. And although they had access to it, they were missing the significance and the reality behind the truth of the Scriptures. Because for the Pharisees, their lives were dominated by rules and regulation and control. And that's what they taught. And then breaking into their life and community came this Jesus, who talked not about rules and regulations and control, but He talked about the reality of entering into a radical relationship with God Himself not regulations, not rules, but a relationship with God Himself. And He focused on mercy and grace and love and truth and forgiveness and renewal and vitality and a refreshing new life in God Himself. And no wonder people were coming by the hundreds and the thousands to listen. And all the Pharisees could do was to shake their heads and, why is he having dinner with tax collectors? The religious leaders of the day were missing God in action in their very presence because they were so caught up with the rules and the regulations and seeking to control and here was the Son of God moving among them. And it's not the Pharisees who say to Matthew, Now, Matthew, tell us again what happened to you this morning when Jesus spoke to you. Just remind us, tell us again what you talked about, a new heart and a new soul and a relationship with God. Tell us again. It's not mentioned. Because what happened with the Pharisee over months subsequent years is they were so focused on rules and regulations and order and control that their hearts had become as cold as ice, and now they were apathetic and indifferent to the things of God. Isn't that incredible? They were surrounded by the sacred, and they become apathetic and cold and indifferent. And that's why Jesus says to them, it's not sacrifice that God is interested in. He is interested in extending to you mercy. That's the heartbeat of God. It's love and grace and forgiveness and renewal and transformation. And now as we draw things to a close this morning, there is one final point I need to make, and it's this that when Matthew got up from his tax collector's booth and left his old life behind, he was able to do so for one reason, and it's this. When Christ said to Matthew, follow me, and he spoke as only God can speak and He spoke at a level that was sovereign, and powerful, and creative, and transformative. And here is the final element. In speaking into the life of Matthew, He not only transformed him, but He gave him the moral and supernatural power to enter into that radical relationship that up to that point Matthew could not envisage. And Matthew discovered what millions have discovered since, that when Christ breaks into a person's life, He destroys and obliterates and wipes out forever the power and dominion and enslaving nature of sin forever. And Matthew got it, and for the first time in his life, he was free. That's why Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And Matthew was a new man for the first time, and no wonder he couldn't wait to tell his friends. No wonder he couldn't wait to have Christ over at his home. No wonder he was what John describes as being born again. And he understood in a flash that radical discipleship is birth and then growing in a radical relationship. Now, here's the challenge this morning. When God reaches out and transforms the heart and mind and soul of an individual, and brings that individual to Himself, He gives to us the moral and supernatural power never again to live under the dominion of sin. And my challenge to you this morning is this. Do you remember at the beginning of the service when I asked you if there was one thing in your life that you haven't told anyone else about? Let me move from preaching to meddling and ask you this, and let me please ask it with all of the pastoral sensitivity and sincerity I can. Is there an area in your life that, quite honestly, is nothing other than sin itself? Now, we may want to dress it up. We may wish to justify it. We may wish to sweeten it a little by saying, it's a habit, it's an addiction, it's a behavior pattern, it's a choice. Sin is sin is sin. And you have living within you the same moral and supernatural power as Matthew, and you no longer have to live there. You can defeat it, surrender it to Him, be submissive to His call, hear Him again, call to you this morning with all of the power of a sovereign God, follow me don't follow me some days, not just for Sunday morning or Monday morning, but follow me, period. And when He deals with you at that level, you have all of the power and resources to close that door in sin, lock that, turn that key, lock that door, throw it away, and walk away from it. Because you know Radical discipleship is birthed and then grows in radical relationship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to You this morning, we dare to ask that You would work in our lives that You would convict us and then, by Your grace, compel us to step out in faith and to follow You. Father, forgive us when we seek to do this in the strength of our own lives, for we know that when we do, we are defeated. Father, help us to thoroughly, totally, unconditionally depend on you and you alone. Father, enable us, please, from this moment forward to remember the truth of the biblical principle that radical discipleship is birthed and then grows within a radical relationship. Father, enable us, please, by your grace, to go deeper and richer in our relationship with you this day in jesus name we pray amen